We have a really small apartment, but we have access to a community deck in the, the building where we live. And so not many people use it. So I took the opportunity to uh, start planting a garden. This is Tim Miller. He lives in Jersey City, and he started his little garden during the COVID pandemic at a time when he had limited opportunities to do things outside of his house. I went out and got some planters. I got the dirt. I just went out and bought seeds without even thinking about how you have to treat all the different seeds differently and you know what it takes to grow them. And then I, I sit down to start trying to plant everything. And immediately my first reaction, which is very similar to how I feel anytime I try to make something, is terror. Because uh, <laughs> as a human being, I'm terrified to make mistakes. Every morning when he wakes up, he goes out on the deck and waters and sees what's happening in the garden. In the beginning, I was certain nothing was going to come up. And I was like, oh man, like I wasted all this money. I messed this all up. It's not going to work. And then I got so freaking excited. The first day things started to pop out of the soil. Honestly, every day now it's become a joy and a relief to see um, how things change from one morning to the next and how things are getting bigger and growing. I'm Lindsay Jacobson, and this is Remember Reading from HarperCollins a podcast where we talk about classic children's books. This episode, we're digging into The Carrot Seed, written by Ruth Krauss and illustrated by Crockett Johnson. It's a book about growing a carrot. But more than that, it's about how far patience and perseverance can get you. Tim Miller is a kid's book writer and illustrator. And he says he thought of The Carrot Seed as he nurtured his own garden. That's what the book is all about, right? And also, I love that because it's also what art making is all about and just being human. There's that natural fear that we all have of when we fail or things don't go our way. We'll also hear from author and illustrator Greg Pizzoli, for whom the book was a big influence. He admires Crockett Johnson's style. He and I would have agreed on a lot of things in terms of like how to draw. All of his work is, I think if it were being reviewed today, it would be called simple. Let's start with the book itself. It's short, very short. So we asked a young friend, Waverly, to read the whole thing with us. A little boy planted a carrot seed. His mother said, I'm afraid it won't come up. His father said, I'm afraid it won't come up. And his big brother said, it won't come up. Every day, the little boy pulled up the weeds around the seed and sprinkled the ground with water. But nothing came up. And nothing came up. Everyone kept saying it wouldn't come up. But he still pulled up the weeds around it every day and sprinkled the ground with water. And then, one day, a carrot came up. 
just as the little boy had known it would. The book was published in 1945. In 1950, a company called the Children's Record Guild turned it into a very cute song, which it put out on 78 RPM records. Oh, carrots grow from carrot seeds. I'll plant the seed and grow it. I'll water it, I'll pull the weeds. Carrots grow from carrot seeds. I remember very clearly the experience of the book. This is Tim Miller again. I don't remember if I read it on my own or if it was a a teacher that read it to me in class or I read it with my mother. But I remember vividly the experience of the book. I remember the suspense of it. I remember just being gripped by wondering what's going to happen next. I remember worrying like the seed isn't going to grow. And I remember feeling really frustrated that the boy's family doubts him. And I remember the satisfaction of uh, seeing the boys succeed. Tim grew up on a farm in Washington State, but his concerns weren't just agricultural because he says the book is really about much more than a carrot. I think that the book is all about being a child. I think it's about being curious and exploring. I think it's about being inspired and and pursuing your inspiration. I think it's about all these things that are so integral and important to childhood and like so many of the things that are so easily forgotten by grown-ups. I think it's about trusting yourself. It's about patience. It's about cultivating your ideas and seeing where they lead. And it's told through a character who never doubts himself. Philip Nell, who wrote a double biography of Ruth Krauss and Crockett Johnson, who were married, said in an interview, quote, when you see children's books featuring outspoken children facing the world on their own terms, you can thank Ruth Krauss. She didn't invent spontaneous, loose-tongued children, but she did establish a place for them in children's literature. Her influences felt to this day. She came out of the Bank Street School, an experimental institution focused on progressive children's education. The school trained a number of influential kids' book writers under its tenets. They include the following. No fairy tales. The real world is just as magical. No romanticizing family or nature. Take the child's imagination and wordplay at face value. In essence, Bank Street asked authors and illustrators to take children's concerns and varied worlds seriously. When I asked him to revisit this book for the podcast, two things occurred to him. One. Oh my gosh, like these parents, like how could they? His mother said. Mother's more a lot of things little boys can't know. So don't be disappointed 
If your carrot doesn't grow. His father said, Fathers know so many things Little boys like you can't know. So don't be disappointed If your carrot doesn't grow. And his big brother said, like I can understand the the siblings being jerks. <laughs> and two, he thought back to his time teaching. Before turning to children's books, Tim worked at the Queen's Museum, introducing young people to art. Something that we would talk a lot about is how an artist might make a work of art, but then how you look at it through the lens of your own experience. I think that's cool. And so he tried to remember what about his childhood made the carrot seed reverberate with him? What childhood experience had Ruth Krauss tapped into when she wrote this book? I think I was someone who had that sort of sense of, why isn't my family listening to me? I was always accused of being a whiner. So, and I think it still unfortunately holds true. I mean, I think I certainly related to it, the experience of not being heard sometimes, you know, and that frustration. But in the book, the little boy, he has the last word. One day, a carrot came up, just as the little boy had known it would. The carrot. He came up. His mother said, It's so big. His father said, I never saw a carrot so big. And his big brother said, Gosh, nobody ever saw a carrot so big. And the little boy said, Oh, carrots grow from carrot seeds. I planted one, I grew it. I watered it, I pulled the weeds. Carrots grow from carrot seeds. In 1954, Ursula Nordstrom, the legendary Harper editor who championed many of the authors we consider classic today, wrote in a letter, quote, Krauss's books can be bridges between the poor, dull, insensitive adult and the fresh, imaginative, brand new child. But of course, that only will work if the dull adult isn't too dull to admit he doesn't know the answer to everything. In picture books, the words never stand alone. Even as a child, Tim knew the pictures were just as much a part of the story. As an adult, he studied cartooning. He says now, as a professional, he appreciates how masterfully the illustrations complement the text. For one, he says, they're very tender. And innocent, the drawings, which is a part of what's so inviting as a child, but anybody else as well. He also admires how roomy the pictures are. I love the simplicity and the directness of it and just the, the kind of silences there. The book is deceptively simple. The text appears on white pages, one sentence or less per page. Opposite the text, on a mustard yellow background, are drawings of the boy with his seed, his mother, his father, and finally, his carrot. But the drawings don't really fill the page. There's room for an individual reader's imagination 
to Rome. I can breathe in it. I love those spaces. One of also the other clear memories that I have of experiencing the book as a child is immediately believing in the pictures because the pictures made everything real for me. And I think I immediately related to the character through the pictures. So I think it's that simplicity and directness. And again, like everything that, like the writing that isn't said in the spaces all around it. It's something I actually really admire because I think it's easier for me to fill up a page with more. Sometimes that camouflages what you don't know how to leave out. In Tim's latest book, Tiny Kitty, Big City, due out in 2021, the pages are, in a word, immersive. Told from the point of view of a kitten living in New York City, the illustrations are often drawn as if through the kitten's eyes. The city towers and looms over the kitten and fills every inch of the page. I enjoy books that invite the audience in. Without realizing it, they steal your attention and you become a part of the story as you investigate the pictures. The book was inspired by an experience he had while living in Queens, rescuing a litter of kittens. My wife and I, we found a litter of kittens and their mother that were living where we were parking our car beneath an elevated subway. Initially, we just started visiting them and feeding them. And over time, they started to feel a little less timid or or skittish around me. And then finally, one day, I concocted a crazy trap. He managed to get the family in there. And then we rescued the kittens, fostered them, and finally got them home. But the encounter got him thinking about what it was like seeing the city through a kitten's eyes. Because they were so hypersensitive to everything that went on around them. Every time the train would rumble overhead, they would just scurry in every direction. They were so terrified. And then you'd see their ears twitch to like every little sound. So he wrote and drew that into the book. Though Tim's illustrations aren't sparse like Crockett Johnson's, he creates breathing room in the busy city by isolating the kitty in various situations. That allows the reader to feel connected to the kitty and its unique experience. As he went on, he realized that, like the carrot seed, his story was about more than just the kittens. I was just like, oh, well, of course, this kitten in the world is a perfect metaphor for what it's like to be a child in the world when You're so sensitive to everything and things are mysterious. You're curious and uh, things can be scary and you got to figure out your way in the world. And it's, it's different for everyone. Greg Pizzoli first encountered the carrot seed as an adult while in graduate school for book arts and printmaking. I had a mentor in graduate school who had a really fantastic children's book collection. I mean, I'm, I'm talking like original drawings by Sendek, like framed on the wall. And she had a lot of Ruth Krauss books. She had this custom, this tradition in the program that 
the first month of the first semester, she made dinner for all the first year and second year students. And we sort of had dinner and sort of met everyone. And, and then she would show off her collection and sort of we would talk about different children's books that she had. And she would basically just pick out 20 books and let us scatter around the second floor of her house and just go into a bedroom and read from her collection. And she gave me the carrot seed, a hole is to dig, and I, I want to say a very special house, all Ruth Krauss books and some others, but those were the ones that really hit me. The Ruth Krauss books spoke to him for the same reason they did to Tim and so many children. They were direct, no nonsense, and honest. Krauss doesn't talk down to her readers in any way, and she just has this like really nice matter-of-fact way of writing which I've always been attracted to, always liked. That's actually what Ruth Krauss became known for. She was writing at a time when kids' books tended to be long, heavy on magic and mythology, and full of moral messaging. Like other Bank Street School writers, she deliberately avoided all of that. Her books drew on children's real worlds, their lives and vocabularies. The books were sparse, yet precise. And she worked closely with her illustrators. For example, she mentored and worked frequently with Maurice Sendak. For The Carrot Seed, she worked with Crockett Johnson, who was her husband. His style was similar to hers. Simple, direct, yet evocative. I wonder if kids respond to to his work the way that they would have maybe 60 years ago. I suspect that they would because it is just pared down to its essence so that you can sort of immediately understand everything that's happening. And he is sort of really good at managing emotions and conveying emotions just through the subtle change in a line or the placement of a pupil. Or with simple manipulations of what's expected. For example, take the ending when the carrot finally sprouts. The carrot is huge. The carrot that that grows is much, much larger. It shoots up overnight. It's not a gradual thing. It's just one day, it's this giant uh, stems are there. And then it's a wheelbarrow filling carrot. One enormous carrot fills a whole wheelbarrow. And not just that. When the carrot stem appears, it's green. The carrot itself is a pinkish orange. The rest of the book is illustrated in three consistent colors, white, tan, and brown. The carrot's appearance is the only time in the book when that otherwise simple color scheme is broken. To Greg, it's a hint that the book is perhaps also about art and the creative process. Did this little boy expect that the carrot was going to be that large? Did he know that the whole time? Or was even he surprised. You know, she says at the end of the story, a carrot came up just as little boy had known it would, but did he expect that carrot? Was it going to fill that wheelbarrow? So I think about that as a writer sometimes where I don't necessarily know where my ideas are going. I'm working on something and I know that that's all that I know. All I know is I'm working on something. He may not know whether it'll be a picture book, a graphic novel, a chapter book, or really anything at all. 
I just know that I have to do the work. I have to water and weed every day. And then whatever it is will come out of it. And I think that that involves a certain amount of doubt and discovery and, you know, all the things that come along with creation. And so I, I think maybe, you know, just knowing who the two of them were, Ruth Krauss and Crockett Johnson, and how supportive they were of other artists and what mentors they were to other artists, maybe the idea for this book came about through them talking about writing. I don't know. I, that's all conjecture on my part, but just as someone who has read this book and loved it and has written a few books myself. It's just something I've thought about. Greg has wondered what Ruth Krauss and Crockett Johnson's relationship was like, how it bled into their collaborations. Like, did they talk all this through over dinner together? It's meaning how to draw that enormous carrot, how to perfect it. Greg says that's kind of what he does with his wife, Kay Healy, who's also an artist. We have shared a studio space forever, and so Kay is my first editor. Even before I have a typed manuscript or something, I will tell her the ideas for my story. I mean, I am writing a suite of picture books right now, and I'm over dinner and usually telling her the ideas and how they're how they're coming about. And usually, when she has a question about something, it's I know that oh, okay, that's a part of the story that I need to address. That kind of creative partnership can be rich, as it is for Greg, and probably was for Ruth Krauss and Crockett Johnson. I kind of marvel at the connectedness between how it all links up together, the words and the pictures. You know, knowing that these two people were intimate spirits, how the words and the pictures come together. That's Tim Miller again. He's also married to someone who works in kids' books. Nancy Antelli is an editor at HarperCollins. Tim says, one way or another, each person's work reflects the others in such partnerships. I, like, appreciate that she can give me a different perspective of my work from when I might be glued deep inside of it. And I also enjoy seeing what she works on as an editor and just being a part of that conversation as well. Nancy was actually the editor on one of Greg's recent projects, Two Little Trains. It's written by Margaret Wise Brown, another Bank Street School protege. Her books often focus on sound and mimic how children talk. I liked the rhythmic pattern of the text immediately, but it had been illustrated twice already. So it had been published in the 40s, and it had been re-illustrated again, I think, in the late 80s or early 90s. And that second illustration was by the Dillons. The Dillons are another husband-wife team. They were influential illustrators. So Greg looked for a way to make his book distinctive. I came back with this rubber stamp idea that I ended up finishing the book with. I'll create this suite of 50 custom rubber stamps and I have to create all the images using that. It will be very different than the Dylan's book. Each train has its own stamp. The rails are a stamp. There's one for round trees and triangular ones and a four-pronged stamp for shrubbery. The pages are filled with the repeating images. 
Each sheet is busy, but the repetition page after page lends it a comfortable, familiar feel. Though their work is quite different aesthetically, Greg channels Crockett Johnson's penchant for paring things down to their essence. This is what his 50 stamps do. I think it might be my favorite book I've ever illustrated, to be honest. it's. I think because I had that set of parameters, those limitations, I think that that's where creativity can really flourish. Ruth Krauss was born in 1901. That means she's approaching her 120th birthday. Yet her books remain beloved, relevant, and modern true classics. To Greg, the words and images really work together to establish that timelessness. I think that they're not of a certain age or of a certain style. Like it's a, the line work can sort of be seen as modern. But I think also like for kids, anytime that a story is about a kid proving adults wrong, (laughs) I mean, that I think is, um, is going to just keep kids coming back. Tim says the book speaks universal truths. It's like the simplest of themes about growing in the world through nourishment, patience, and care. And uh, it relates to the experience of being human and entrusting ourselves and discovering who we are. I think it's genius because it's simple and it holds up. It's honest. It's real. You know, everyone can relate to it. When Ruth Krauss turned 70, she feared people would see her as an old lady when she still felt young. Biographer Philip Nell says she actually changed her birth year to 1911. He writes that later she told a friend, quote, You're only as old as other people think you are. So always lie about your age, and preferably in increments of 10, because it's easier to keep track of. In that spirit, we're looking forward to celebrating her 110th birthday next year. Forget we ever said 120. Special thanks to Tim Miller and Greg Pizzoli. Thanks also to Waverly for reading The Carrot Seed to us. I asked her why she liked the book. We planted carrots, and he planted carrots. For more about any of the books in this episode, visit harpercollins.com. If you love the podcast, let us know on Twitter, at ReadingPod. Or you can head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Visit RememberReading.com, where you can learn more about our episodes. Remember Reading is produced by Irina Zhurov, and I'm Lindsay Jacobson. Until next time. <laughs>